The Collector's Collection, Episode 7, Avengers Endgame. First Reactions. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Collector's Collection, a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan podcast. I am your humble host, Chris, joined by my fellow henchmen, Anna. Hey. And Steve. Hello. Yeah, Bobby's not with us tonight. Sad to say I had to sacrifice him for the Soul Stone. Don't you, by definition, have to care about the thing that you sacrificed to get the Soul Stone? (sighs) You're right. No, for some reason, Bobby had to... Well, he was supposed to go see Endgame last night, but he something happened and he couldn't... Yeah, he hasn't so. seen it, and now he's waited too damn long, and he's had it spoiled for him, which yeah. sucks, because... Well, I managed to avoid all spoilers before going to see it. I was originally not going to see it, but then, like, past few weeks, I've been so afraid somebody was going to Yeah, it's not spoil it. that. When I came home, I told you you had to go see it the next day so I could talk about it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> admittedly, I'm not terribly socially connected, but it seems to me anyway that this has somehow managed to have less internet spoilers going on than like The Force Awakens did or Infinity War did. I felt like with yeah. those movies, it was just out there on the internet anywhere you went in comments and memes. I feel like this has been... People have been a little more respectful there. So it's really about the circle you keep and who you work with and who you're around and whether or not they're going to respect the wishes that you you don't want to hear about it. Yeah, I mean, there's more coming up now, but it's been like, what, right, three yeah. weeks? Yeah, for sure. And there has to be a statute of limitation at some point. I mean, when you're talking about a movie that has done, you know, one point whatever billion at this point. Yeah. You know damn well how many people have seen it. It's going to be hard to, to avoid, <laughs> to avoid that. So I'm going to see know. it again next weekend. Yeah, I've seen it twice yep. at this point and... Damn it, both times were just amazing cinema. Yeah, we we were going to, you know, just kind of wait for this to come up organically, like throughout our watch through. But I think we just felt like this was such a major point in the MCU that uh, I didn't really want to wait to talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, we're just going to go through and give our kind of first impressions I imagine this conversation is going to run a little long, and we're still going to cover it once we get to it in the watch through. Which way more in depth? I'm assuming I wouldn't even say way more in depth because I I imagine we're going to get pretty deep in the woods today. But yeah, for me specifically, you know, as as a lot of you know, I haven't seen a lot of these movies, and so while I have seen Infinity War, there's a lot of stuff leading up to Infinity War and Endgame that. You know, I don't know about yet. So I think for me, watching it now and then being able to go back and watching it again after having gone through all the other movies, it'll put it in a little bit more context. Yeah, me. no doubt. And I mean, it's going to be a completely different thing when we've had however many months or whatever it is to kind of reflect on what we saw and forget some things and then see it again and have that kind of second reaction yeah, to moments. it. So, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you know, watching them, I'm sure, is going to peel back some of the layers of things that. Like, uh, certainly you wouldn't have realized having not seen them, but even for like Anna and I, things that we may have forgotten or overlooked Absolutely. that we realized was, was there. So, And because this is a first impressions episode, I think we're going to sort of talk about this a little differently than we normally do. Yeah, I mean, I think this will basically just be pretty discussion-based, looking at character arcs and the people that had major changes and the people that got their proper send-offs and things of that nature and just kind of... Reacting to what we thought about how they, you know, gave the fans the character development we've been waiting on and 
not even development. They've been developing for 22 movies now, but you know, like I said, those major changes moving forward and the, the ones that didn't make it and things like that, like how they handled it and ultimately how they portrayed it and just our reactions to that type of thing. For sure. Before we even get started in this episode, I think it goes without saying, but because this movie is such a box office smash and we don't want to be the people to ruin it for anybody, obviously all of our shows when we talk about a movie are very full of spoilers and this one will be no different. So if you have not seen Endgame yet, proceed with caution. So I think the tone of this movie, it had this absolutely amazing balance of almost a celebratory feel, but yet mixed with this completely somber undertone that at times was certainly not an undertone, but just the tone was somber. I kind of got the opposite impression. Like the undertone was celebratory, but the... The, yeah, I mean that's the, fair. Yeah. The that's overall fair. theme yeah. was like because this this movie for me like I don't get emotional too much, especially just watching movies. I mean I can say that since I started having kids, like that's emotion has stirred in me more often than it used to. But and they certainly played that chord. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, because right right out the gate you get a good old gut punch. Yeah. With Hawkeye and his family. Yeah, I mean if if you if you have been following these movies slash and are a parent slash have anyone in your life that you love and care about that opening scene. If you weren't buckled up from the jump, you were in a pretty violent crash right off the, <laughs> right off the get go. You know, we're referring to, you see Hawkeye training his daughter, you know, to shoot the arrow. And at one point he even, they give a little fan service of calling her Hawkeye, which I, I didn't even realize this, but I think I read somewhere that to this point, they hadn't referred to him as Hawkeye. Like that was the first time I think we've heard the moniker used. Yeah, I yeah, mean, they I, usually refer to him as Barton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in Avengers, which you know that that was the scheduled episode for this week, but uh, we we're gonna push that off till next week. But um, I think in Avengers they kind of say Hawk and I in the same sentence, okay, but, not, but never not kind of put together mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I thought that was a nice little thing there, you know, whether, whatever that means moving forward, who knows. But it was nice to hear the moniker used as kind of a, a fan service moment. But basically, we see him training her with the bow and arrow, and she's a really good shot. And then it's time to eat dinner, and he turns his back for a moment as they're calling the kids, and, and the wife is saying dinner's ready. And when he turns back, oh. the entire family, both kids and his wife, are are three gone. Kids. And so... Yeah. Oh, was it three kids? Yeah. Yeah. It so, was his daughter and two sons. Okay. So, you know, and then this is this is paralleling to the snap that we saw in Infinity War. So we didn't actually see Barton in that movie, but now we kind of see where he was. He had his family mm-hmm. and at the moment of the snap, that's where he was. Yeah, so I did watch Infinity War last night just because I'm going to take the kids to see Endgame next weekend. And so I kind of wanted to brush back up on on uh, Infinity War. He even says in Infinity War, you know, the the toll of what we're doing right now was kind of too great for some of us, you know, now that we have families and stuff. And yeah. so it kind of explained why he was not in the picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, him and Scott Lang were both with or supposed to be with their families because they were under house arrest from a previous. Civil War. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they were not with the rest of the Avengers when Infinity War happened. Yeah. So that was our that was our introduction to this movie. Before we saw an, an opening credit or anything, that was the cold open. And I thought it was brilliantly done. 
And it definitely set, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you feel that the movie's main tone was somber. Yeah. That, and this I definitely mean, set the stage for that. Because, I, I mean, the whole movie, I had that ache in your stomach you get right before yes. right before you go into the principal's office. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you in trouble. Yep. And I just, <laughs> like, right off the jump, that, I that just tension. had that pretty much the whole movie. I was like, oh, man. Uh, yeah. And, and and the very next scene isn't, you know, it's not nearly that type of a gut punch, but it's still a very somber scene um, when we see Nebula with Tony Stark, kind of where they were left from Infinity War out in space on the ship, just kind of stuck no, there. 22 days. Yeah, they, they reference the days that they've been gone is the same number as the, the, the number of films that they were up to. So that was, again, you'll kind of hear us mentioning several times throughout this, the fan service they did in this movie, and it was done deeply and a lot of times when a movie goes overboard for the fan service it can get kind of corny and cheesy and in this one it felt like everything they did was was placed really really well and it fit it felt like a nod to the people that have been following it and are comic book fans and are mcu fans in general but it also was done in such a way that like i said me and my wife went and saw it she's seen the first few mcu movies and she's seen infinity war and that's it and she still felt a connection to the film. She still enjoyed it. And I think that's a really, really difficult thing to do as a filmmaker to impress the diehard fans, to impress the people that have been there from the jump, and then also be able to impress those that aren't diehard fans. Absolutely. So casual viewers and, and diehard viewers alike, I think, saw this film and, and enjoyed it. Yeah. And so that's impressive. Um, so basically, we see Nebula with Tony, and they're playing paper football. Like Tony's teaching her how to play paper football, and I, I thought it was a, an interesting scene because you can see that she's still figuring out how to be good. She's still figuring out how to be human again, and then I thought that scene kind of showed that that she's you know struggling with something as simple as paper football to to not get competitive and not get nasty with it. And he's trying to like talk her off the ledge of, oh, that's good. That's a, that's a score. You know, you did well. So I enjoyed that part. And then we get, you know, another one of these really somber moments of Tony using his, his beat up helmet to record messages to pepper and let her know it's not looking good. Yeah. And there was definitely some foreshadowing there, especially if you, when you rewatch the movie, you notice it a lot more than the first time. Um, you know, there's some events that we'll get to that the helmet and the state that it was in, the fact that the right side of it was all torn up and burn up, you know, we'll, it, there'll, there'll be some, now, <laughs> some foreshadowing that that was leading to. Now, see, I, after watching Infinity War last night, it, that scene struck me as kind of odd given the Because the left side was all messed up. No, yes. no that, uh, well, re- regardless of which side was messed up, just the way Tony's suit is constructed now, because it's not a solid suit anymore. It's nanotech, all that nanotech. So it just kind of builds itself every time he quote unquote gets into mm-hmm. it. So it was, I don't know, it was, I guess it was just kind of weird to see that the helmet was still damaged like that, even though there's no real big reason for it to be other than just as a callback. Right. <laughs> Yeah, both that callback and foreshadowing moment in the film. So I think, you know, Chris said we would do this a little bit differently. And I think that one of the ways to tackle this is to just because this movie very much felt like it was so character driven. I think we can just kind of go through and talk about 
the characters yep. and yeah. and their arc and what we thought. And, you know, there'll be some overlap because obviously there's interaction between the characters. Um, but we'll just try to focus on each of the characters that played a significant role. And there'll be other ones that didn't play as much of a role. And, you know, we'll just kind of gloss over them. But when the movie starts after those two scenes we've discussed, there's this kind of very quick, they want to find Thanos. They want retribution for what happened they want they want to get to him after what he's done and and they're after the stones to try to undo things well i think i think uh b- before we get deeply into that you know captain marvel shows up and she's a newcomer to the mcu yeah and uh i'm going to just say this right off the jump it was nice to see even though you know she's supposedly the the strongest of all of them obviously thor would disagree with that but <laughs> <laughs> it was it was nice to see that she didn't overshadow the movie because I was really afraid of that going in. Even, yeah, they did even, a really good job balancing Even that. having not seen Captain Marvel yet. Yeah. So anyway, only because Captain Marvel's with them when they went yeah, to right. Thanos. Yeah, right. No, no. So Captain Marvel, and, and she plays a big role in it because basically she comes busting into where he is. We find him kind of in the garden that he had mentioned. Um, I've seen a lot of people writing about how there were a good amount of religious undertones both in Infinity War and this film. And I think this was one of them, kind of him in the garden. He's accomplished his goal. He's reflecting. And we discussed it earlier. You know, he, he, we find him, he has used the stones to destroy the stones. And between the snap and now doing that, he's damaged. He's weak. He's feeble. He's not the almighty powerful Thanos we're used to seeing in these movies. And so he just seems like he's kind of in this cabin living out his last days. He seems like he is aware that he's not long for this earth and... Just kind of counting down the days. And so, you know, that's how we find him. And in comes, you know, Captain Marvel and crew just busting in. And, you know, long story short, she gets a hold of him, holds him in place. And he explains to them that he's destroyed the stones and that it's over. Like, there's nothing to do now. What I've done is done. He doesn't seem angry by this. He doesn't seem even bothered by the fact that they're there. He's Mm -hmm. accomplished. Yeah, He's done what he wanted to. Yeah, because, you know, just continuing on a line he actually says later during the movie i think he knew what was to happen next was inevitable yeah because you see he doesn't put up much of a fight no. if any I, I can't remember if he even put up a fight at all right I don't, I don't remember if he did or not i mean maybe he struggled a little bit but you know and there was part of me the first watch through that thought maybe he's not really struggling because we know how powerful captain marvel is and maybe he just can't put up that fight but we see him in an interaction with Captain Marvel later that indicates he no, can. He can hold his own. He can hold his own. Yeah. And so, you know, it just seemed like an acceptance. It just seemed like we, you know, he was, he didn't care. He had done what he set out to do. Yep. And if this was going to be his end, and this is his end. And ultimately, it was, you know, as a callback to the you should have gone for the head <laughs> moment in Infinity yeah. War. Um, this time, Thor uses Stormbreaker and goes for the head. And um, in a pretty shocking moment, 10 to 15 minutes into the movie, there's Thanos's decapitated head rolling across the floor. And it was interesting because, you know, Nebula was somewhat necessary for this scene because she was there with them. Thanos, and you know, says that he's destroyed the stones and because they know how powerful he wanted to be. And I think they're still under the impression that he's still seeking. That yeah, power. he still seeks power. They don't believe him. They don't understand that he's done, that he's done what he set out to do and he doesn't care about the power anymore. And Nebula is the one that informs them, you know, my father's many things. But a liar is not one of them. Yeah, and yeah. I, what 
I'll have some more discussion as far as Thanos's character, like once we get closer to Infinity War. I don't want to bog down this episode, yeah. with it, but I'll just say I view Thanos as a sort of I won't say anti-hero because that's not the right word, but maybe a someone who set out to do I won't even say the right thing, but the best thing for the universe. And just was really extremely misguided on it. Yeah, and was willing to deal yeah. with the negative consequences that came of what he viewed as the right thing. Yeah, and we get we kind of get a moment of that later in the in the big third act in the epic fight scene that we'll get to. He says, "I never enjoyed any of this. None of it was ever personal." Yeah, but now, it but is. now it is. So I mean, he <laughs> even indicates as much. Like this yeah. was not about doing what he thought was wrong. Or being mean or anything like that. Like, this is what he thought the universe needed. Yeah. So I don't think you're off on that. There's some parallels to, uh, you know, sort of the, the Black Plague in our history. Yep. That kind of did a similar thing, but just naturally and how it affected uh, the people moving on forward from that. You mm-hmm. know, that was the rise of... Uh, that was the rise of the Renaissance period and stuff like that. Right. Lots of prosperity after, mm-hmm. you know, the plague wiped out a third of Europe's population. So yep. there's definitely some parallels there. But again, I don't, I'm not going to get too deep in the woods with that, but, uh, we'll get to that. I, I'll, I want to delve more into that once we yeah. get closer to Infinity War or even on, on the Infinity War episode. So the movie kind of does this little pre killing of Thanos and then we, jump forward five years after Thor kills him. And we see a smattering of characters in in that first part. Nebula, Iron Man, Rocket, uh, Widow is there, Captain Marvel, Thor. But we have this smattering of characters that we see before Thanos is killed that, you know, we're still around post-snap and whatnot. And then I think, I know it shocked me when I saw it, and I've definitely read others that were surprised by this. We just jump forward five years so now we're five years after infinity war we're five years after you've killed thanos and we kind of see where everybody that survived the snap is now and what they're doing and this is where the movie again takes that brilliant balance of celebration and comedy and this just severe somber undertone with all of it and finds this beautiful harmony for it Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in a, basically a post-apocalyptic world here. Yeah, and I mean, we find certain characters. We find Iron Man is now married to Pepper, or at least with Pepper, and they have a kid. He seems happy. He's accepted what happened. He's moved on. We see a scene with Captain America that's basically <laughs> in like a <laughs> AA for like for you know Thanos survivors. And oh, I, I definitely got a lot to say about that yeah. later on. Um, you know, we see that and then the the one that I think caught everybody off guard is when we go to the new Asgard and we, we find <laughs> <Plot Dickens. laughs> we we find how Thor is dealing with the uh the post Thanos world. You, you know what though? That scene it was amazing to me for one simple reason. I can now properly cosplay thor if i want absolutely to. yes <laughs> <laughs> thor with the dad bod yep and again they did this you know and i'll keep referencing it and sorry to beat the dead horse but even that scene in a in its own in a in a vacuum i think it shows that that really perfect blend of really really funny comedy coupled with 
this kind of dark, somber undertone. Yeah, now that now this scene in particular, I'll agree with you. The the undertone is is the somber stuff and the overtone is the sort of comedic right for it. Yeah. Um, and this isn't the first time they've done this. We commented on this in the Iron Man two scene where he is on his binger at the party. Yeah. yeah. And how, you know, they wanted to address alcoholism and they wanted to address depression and things like that. But it was very obvious. They wanted to keep it Light. kind of lighthearted. And I felt like they did a really good job of duplicating that feel because yeah. we find Thor now overweight, drinking beer and whatnot. But then we get the really hysterical moment with, and I can't remember the character's name, but that we meet in Ragnarok. Oh, oh, the rock guy. Yes. Oh my gosh, and why can't I remember his name? They do this like modern pop culture reference where he's sitting there playing Fortnite. <laughs> and I forget what they call the guy. Like the dude's screen name is like New, New Blaster 69 or some ridiculous shit like that. And he looks he's at back. Thor and he's, uh, Thor, he called me a dickhead again. <laughs> and thor just you know gets on the mic and is basically i'm gonna fly over there and i forget exactly what he says but gives him this this like pretty direct threat of doing something to his butt you know it's it was it was hysterical and so like you find thor who you know we just did that movie and we talked about how powerful he was and how arrogant he was and the way he walked and represented himself and now you fast forward to where we are now and he's He's clearly just kind of in this depressive state. And I mean, and and it makes sense because he he is. I mean, not only is he billed as like the god of thunder, but he is the guardian Midgard. And as we know, Earth is is what Thor considers to be Midgard. Yeah. So, you know, he he is looking at a failure, his his failure to stop Thanos from wiping out half Earth's population. Not to mention the universes. And this is after. Asgard's been destroyed in uh, Ragnarok. Yep. So he doesn't even have his own right. place to go back to. No. Like, this is it. Yeah, they built this yeah. kind of new community. And he failed. Yeah. And that 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 is definitely referenced throughout this movie. Yeah. That Thor feels like A he failure. failed. You know, I think there, there's another really funny moment later in the movie on this topic where they're talking about how Thor feels like he's failed and Rocket's in the background. He's like, well, he did. But there's yeah. plenty of that to go around, you know, and it's yeah. For for me, the um, idea of failure really hit Thor and Iron Man the hardest. Yeah, at least outwardly, right? Yeah. That you can see. And the only real difference between them is that at that point, Tony had something to fall back on. Yeah, yeah. Thor didn't. Nope. I mean, like you said, I mean his his whole world is gone, and I- so he has the few people like Valkyrie that are still there in New Asgard with him. But other than that. He's a guy playing Fortnite with his buddies. He didn't have that connection to anything bigger than that. Yeah, I feel like with Thor and how he felt and how he handled it, mm-hmm. I felt a huge connection to that because I've done something similar. Like, yeah, I've I mean, failed and gone like down that dark rabbit hole. And seeing one of my like one of my favorite characters go through a similar thing, it's like, well... You also Shit. failed to stop Thanos from wiping out half the universe? <laughs> I said similar, not same. <laughs> Mine wasn't that extreme, I but... <laughs> you know. We'll talk after the show if it was. I mean, things happen. <laughs> I have secret life. There you go. <laughs> so the other the other of the, the main characters that we kind of catch up with at this fast-forwarding five years point is Hulk. And we see him now. He's learned to control Hulk. 
Banner has learned to control the beast. Um, the last time we saw him, he was struggling to even get it to appear. Yeah. And now he not only can have it appear, but he basically uses that as his full-time image. He walks around as the Hulk, but it seems to be in full control of the rage. And I, I like that. I like that they did that. I mean, I, I saw a few memes before I walked into the movie theater, and I so I didn't know what to expect going into it. But um, I, I think that's a... Faked. <laughs> I thought I they mean, were I, faked. <laughs> I I don't remember exactly what I thought about them, but it harkens back to the end of the Hulk movie with uh, Ed Norton. Mm-hmm. Because that's kind of what we get the impression he was trying to do there. Like, just have a better control over it. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like... He finally figured he, it out. He finally figured it out. Mm-hmm. So now he can have... You know the brawn of Hulk and the brains of Banner all at yeah. the same time yep. without the Hulkbuster suit. Yeah, yeah. And he seems super gentle. You know, we have that scene in the diner where the kids come up and want to take pictures, and he's all for it. We have that hilarious moment with Ant Man, kind of. <laughs> I mean, you want a picture with me? I'm Ant Man, and, and eh, not really. <laughs> I'm good. And you know, speaking of Ant Man, obviously, you know, we're, we're we mentioned we're not doing this in chronological order. We're just kind of discussing character and their arcs and whatnot, but. You know, the last time we see Ant-Man, he goes into the quantum realm in Ant-Man and the Wasp. And then while he's in Spoilers, there... Spoilers, bro. I know. So we have a rat to thank for bringing Ant-Man back from the quantum realm, touching all the right buttons on Ant-Man's little doohickey in the van. Yep. And uh, once he gets out, kind of gets the lay of the situation, meets back up with the Avengers and pitches the idea of... A time heist. A time heist, as Mr. Stark put it. Which... They built a time machine. <laughs> and reference every movie ever. Yes. That has done any such thing. <laughs> and then yeah. get upset when they realize it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. Even reference Die Hard, which in no way. <laughs> well, he, he reneges that. He... Yeah, he does. He does. I feel like that was something that... Uh, that would have been fitting for Star Lord to say. Yeah, it's true. Well, I mean, Ant Man is kind of a Star Lordish mentality. Bobby. Newport. Well, you haven't watched. Uh, yeah, you <laughs> haven't watched any of the Ant Man movies, so you wouldn't really understand that yet. I mean, just from what I've seen so far, he seems pretty close to like the character he plays in Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we also we get another one of those really touching moments when Ant-Man returns because we find out that five years have gone by and his family and basically the world has assumed that he was lost when the, the snap occurred, Yeah, which he was actually safe from that because he was in the quantum realm. And so he comes back to find his name on the memorial of those that were known to be lost to Thanos's undoing of half the universe so he he sees his name yeah and he only sees it because he was looking for his daughter right which i mean has to be pretty surreal to see your name on a memorial of the fallen (laughs) yeah Um, but ends up going back to the house um luckily for him his family is still in the same house and he sees his daughter now five years grown up from the past time he's seen her and you know she obviously recognizes him and he's just kind of stunned to like he's i think even like questionably says you know cassie (laughs) <laughs> and she comes <laughs> she comes through and gives him a big hug and it's just another one of those like this movie was just ripe with these moments of that like familiar closeness. Yeah. They were all over the place and this was just another example of like taking the comedic character and even letting him have that kind of really touching emotional moment. Yeah. 
and, you know, extracting tears from some of us more emotional people. <laughs> yeah, my tears hadn't started flowing yet at this point, but my tear ducts were warming up. Oh, yeah. They were warming up. <laughs> I, I had a little, little tear. I mean, honestly, my, my fate, I think my cheeks stayed moist uh, mo- for a lot of this movie. <laughs> yeah. It was just, yeah, it was, it it was was just one gut punch after another. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like I said, we're just talking about the the different story arcs of the characters and where they ultimately ended up. Another one that you could feel the just the the heartbrokenness in him was another one of the more comedic characters with Rocket Raccoon. Throughout this whole film, yeah. there was just this cloud hanging over him where he had lost everyone. Yeah. Lost Groot. The whole crew. Yeah, I mean, literally lost his entire crew. Honestly, I think the loss of Groot hit him the hardest. For sure. That was his buddy. I mean, and his snarky personality is still there. His interactions with Thor during the Dark World flashback show that he is still capable of the the tough love. Um, you know, at one point there, when Thor's all kind of sad and bummed out about the situations that you know we know are going on in Dark World, he sees his mom. He knows this is the day when they go back. That's the day his mom died. And Rocket says to him, like, you think you're the only one that's sad? You're not the only one that lost people. Yeah. Like, toughen up. So, yeah. you know, his tough love and, 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 and hard persona are still there, but it's very obvious through the movie that, that Rocket is pretty torn up. He's pretty heartbroken. Yeah. On the bright side, Thor gets his hammer back. That is that true. Scene. That was a pretty awesome oh, moment. I love that part. Yeah. I've, I've seen the meme going around... Where it's Thor waiting for the hammer and then having the hammer. And they say, you know, your depression does not define your worth. Which is something Thor had to realize in that moment. Yeah, because he's like, oh, I guess I'm still worthy. Sweet. I'm still worthy. (laughs) Well, it was cool to hear there was a, a, a nice little moment in there where when Thor is denying to his mom that he's from the future, that she can see right through it. Yeah. And she, and it's it's kind of cool because, you know, you would think in, in most worlds that would weird you the hell out. And she has little to no reaction to it. It's Freya, though. Yeah. She's just like, you know, you forget I can see with more than just my eyes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she's fully aware of, that he's obviously from the future and he admits it. And they just have this touching moment where he gets the hammer back and, and rides out knowing that that will again be the last time he sees his mom. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen Dark World yet, so yeah. I, don't, I don't know the ins and outs of all that yet. Ugh. Yeah. But, I mean, you heard him say in the movie, like, that's the day yeah. you know, his yeah. mom passes. And so, you know, yet again, just another one of these touching family moments where oh, these yeah, characters that, that over several movies we've fallen in love with and feel like we have a vested interest in their lives, you're seeing them either live or relive some of the greatest pain they're going to go through. Yeah, and that, that was one that definitely tugged at me a little bit more. Yeah. I think that one got to you a little bit too, sir. If I remember when I went the second time with you, I think I think there was a little bit of glistening going on during that. Yeah, for sure. But nothing compared to what, what was to come. I don't yeah, know no. what it's. I don't know what it's like to lose a parent. Yeah, I I've I've lost either, people in my but... family, but no one that I was that close with. Yeah, and I imagine, especially if I knew, like this was legit going to be the last interaction I had with you, and then you're going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And just to, to plug in here, before we move on to some of the, the bigger uh, story arcs that happened in this movie, we mentioned at the onset there's a few characters that really didn't play a significant role or have a significant change to their overall story arc. And so, you know, a few of those that, you know, were there from the beginning that ultimately there's not a whole lot to say about 
war machine in this movie. Yeah. He's there. He's he's prevalent to what's going on and he's a part of everything, but there was never really a, a significant moment for him in this movie. No. So that's just, you know, one of the characters that really never got big story arc, if you will. Several of the others that will make their return in the third act that we get to see them come back, but ultimately, other than that, and fighting in the third act didn't contribute a whole lot. Black Panther shows back up here in a little bit. Yeah. Um, Doctor Strange and his crew ultimately open the portals that allow people to come back. Ugh. But yeah, other than doing that, badass scene. there really wasn't a whole lot going on there. Um, there is a moment that Doctor Strange will do that we'll get to in a little bit that you know we'll talk pretty extensively about that. But we just wanted to kind of name a few of those characters. Like we didn't forget about them. There's just not. Yeah. There's not a whole lot to say. Um, but one of the ones that I think there is a whole lot to say, and you know, you two might want to kind of go through this is. Hawkeye slash Ronan's arc throughout this where, you know, we talked about that opening scene where he loses everything, but then over that course of that next five years, we find out he's been up to some pretty interesting deeds. So I I know he's, he transitions over to Ronan in the comic books, but does he ever get called that in the MCU? Um, I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if, I mean, again, I don't even think they've ever actually called him Hawkeye, right? So they're kind of being really vague about his titles in this, but I mean, what he became is ultimately Ronan. Yeah. You know, so he's been spending five years basically on this global murdering (laughs) spree. Yep. And it was really, really oddly done. Like I said, I had no criticism of this movie, but I thought it the first time. And even the second time seeing it, even though I knew it wasn't, it felt like it again. That scene where he's presumably somewhere in Asia, it might've said where he is. Cause I don't know if it was Japan or whatever. Yeah. The way it was shot, I thought it was like we were on set of a movie, like within the movie. Like it looked like they were showing a movie that was being shot. Like, you know, when you get those those scenes in a movie where you're watching a movie being made within the movie. Yeah. That's that is what the way they shot that felt like to me. Like it felt so out of place that it felt like I didn't, this I didn't, must be a movie set. I, I didn't, I get, didn't that get that feeling. Yeah. I mean, the quarters were really close. Like the space that he was in just felt way smaller than yeah. the rest of the movie. Yeah. Everything um, about that just felt really, really strange. Obviously, we were in a different country, but the, but the MCU has jumped around from country to country before, and I've never felt like it, it, it... I don't know how to explain it other than it just felt out of place. Yeah. Now, once once Black Widow showed up and they had their, their meeting and their little confrontation there, then it felt totally fine. Then I realized, okay, this is actually happening. He is out here murdering people but just the way it was shot and how they used some of the more martial arts styles that just didn't we don't normally see it really felt like we were now like on some set in japan watching a martial arts movie get made yeah that's the only way i know to explain it but black widow you know her and hawkeye are close and they've been close and so budapest yeah and so it was really we see her earlier really struggling with knowing what he's doing because she has feelings for him and seeing him in that much pain that he would ultimately do what he's doing is, is tearing her up. I mean, oh, but yeah. at the same time, it's not surprising no. that he's no. doing it. No, you know, but it's obviously like hurting her dramatically. I mean, he just took his failure, well, his non-participation in any of it to a different level. Yeah. You know, he was going to go out there and wrong all the rights right. as much as he could. Whereas the other one, like especially Thor and and uh, Tony, mm-hmm. they just, I don't know, more so Thor just giving up. Yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> fuck it. But we ultimately, we ultimately get to probably the first time that 
I had to choke back a few tears a few tears a little later when they are part of the the committee that's going back to to try to get the stones and they ultimately are in charge of getting to the soul stone and as we learned in Infinity War the only way to get the soul stone is to sacrifice something you love and so there's this really really heartfelt moment where each of them realizes what has to happen and both of them is willing to fall on the sword to get it done and Barton's whole argument is, you know what I've become. Yeah. And so it should definitely be me. And she says, I've been fighting my whole life to try to now undo this. And this is my chance. I'm doing it. And she knows that if it succeeds, he'll get his family back. Yeah. And she wants that for him. She wants him to have his family back. She wants him to have that closure. And so both of them is willing to ultimately sacrifice themselves to the point where they are now physically fighting over yes. who's going to do it. And ultimately she ends up in a situation where she's ha- they're both hanging off the edge of the cliff as they've kind of fought to that. And she ends up dropping and much like Gamora in Infinity War lands in a similar situation and, and obviously dies. And, you know, seeing that, and, and again, they did this a little bit later and we'll talk about it more, seeing her fall and seeing her die ultimately didn't affect me. It was watching Barton's reaction to it. Yeah. It was seeing him <sighs> react and then waking up in the water with the stone and realizing we did what we came here for, but I'm going home down one. Yep. Yeah, because I, I don't think uh, any of them, I mean, they... They had an idea of what it might have taken to get that soul stone, but they didn't know for sure. Yeah. They just knew that Thanos went there with Gamora and came back without her and with the stone. Yep. So And we kind of get the wrap up of his arc in this movie when he's sitting around with um some of the Avengers and they're trying to plot ways that they can get her back. And he very poignantly and almost aggressively tells them you can't. Yeah. There is she's not coming back. There there is no coming back. Yeah, she's gone. And so he's accepted that, but you can tell he's he's very torn by it. So that's where we leave off with Barton there. Yeah. So let's get into some of the less pleasant parts of this movie. As if the rest of it isn't pleasant. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get to all of the sadness, there was kind of this like pump your fist in the air slash get like the the happy tear moment. Hulk ultimately, after they end up succeeding in, in going back and getting all of the stones, Iron Man has built a new gauntlet of their own. And Hulk, being full of his gamma ray strength, talks Thor down who wanted to do it because, again, he's still feeling all the guilt from failing. And Hulk ultimately decides to be the one to try to bring everybody back with their new snap. Yeah. And he does it, and we see it has a pretty significant effect on him. It tears his arm up. I think it comes up onto his neck a little bit and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it has a pretty pretty dramatic effect on him, even at his strength in Hulk form. And we see Ant-Man go to the window and there's this really kind of poetic moment where you see like birds chirping and flying around, which you hadn't seen throughout the movie because this, you know, the snap didn't just affect humans. It affected all living life. Yeah. And so we kind of look out into this new flourishing world. And um, another one of those moments, man, it was just filmed so, so well. And it, it, it kind of 
started pulling at those emotional strings again is, is seconds after this happens, Barton's phone starts ringing. And it's his wife. And it's his wife calling. <laughs> and so now we're in this universe where they've brought everyone back. And people's phones are still online after five years. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I don't see why they wouldn't be. Verizon's going strong. And so we move forward now. Everybody's back. But unfortunately, when everyone came back, so did the man himself. So did Thanos. And we won't go through all of how that happened, but basically when they were in this past timeline, the then villainous Nebula and villainous Gamora become privy to what's going on through seeing visions from the not nefarious Nebula and ultimately get him a Pym stone or a uh, Pym particle, excuse me. And he comes through the open portal and is now in their present time where everyone has been brought back. So we get this really amazing moment where the fight is beginning. He brings the fight to them, pretty much blows up Avengers headquarters to, to hell. And this fight is going on and um, Iron Man is out there. Captain America is out there. And all of a sudden we start seeing in the background, the Dr. Strange spiral portals, if you will, opening in the sky. Oh, that was so awesome. That was epic. And everyone from Doctor Strange's crew and Black Panther, we see Wasp return, Spider-Man comes back. All of the characters that we had lost in Infinity War are now, they're now back. Not not going to lie, I had a little bit of happy tears when I saw Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a, it was a pretty <laughs> good moment. And one of the biggest fan service moments is we get Captain America saying Avengers and he pauses and then we get a symbol which dating back to extraordinarily old Avengers comic books that line has been around for decades and so 22 movies in that got a fist bump for me yeah they found a way to say it in context and it was done brilliantly so now everyone has returned and the fight is now ready to be taken to Thanos. And so we get a lot of really cool moments in this. Basically your normal MCU action fight moments. One of the ones I know we had mentioned earlier that stood out to us is when Scarlet Witch returns. Yes. Thanos <laughs> looks at her and says, you know, I don't even know who you are. And she just very stoically says, you will. Um, so they're fighting with Thanos and basically what they're fighting for now is the gauntlet is is free and and there with all the stones in it and everyone is fighting to get the gauntlet to ultimately either have him snap again and thus getting rid of everyone again or them being able to do the same and getting him from existence and so this power struggle begins Um, again you see all these different fight moments And then Captain Marvel ends up showing back up. She comes in, gets some work done, and Thanos has a really cool cinematic moment where he pops the power stone out and just punches her right in the face with it, sending her flying. Yeah, that was some that was some good strategizing. Yeah, it it looked good. It was cinematically pleasing. (laughs) Glad we got that in there. Get that in. (laughs) So you know this this power struggle has now begun, and fast forward through all of the action. And and side note. For those of you that have seen this, you may not have even 
noticed it because of how well the movie was done. For this to be a comic book and an action movie, there was not that much action in this movie. No. Like until this third act, there was little to no action really. And yet it never once felt slow. It never felt like it was dragging on. I mean, it was the fastest three hour movie I've ever sat through. Yeah. And I did it twice and it never felt like it was dragging. Yeah, I definitely felt like it was expertly paced. Yeah. At at no time did uh was there a lull. No. And story. I think part of that is the emotional weight that they put on you from scene to scene somewhat carried you through what may or may not have been down moments. Yeah. You're yeah. still feeling the effect of what you just watched. So even if you could argue that in a vacuum a scene may have been kind of slow or whatever, you're still feeling the impact of the scene right before it. Yeah. yeah. So the pacing just felt expertly done it was it was extremely good so captain marvel ends up getting punched with the power stone she goes flying and dr strange looks at tony and holds up one finger yes i i I just got a chill just thinking about it again yeah like it was just which you know if, if you didn't make the connection going back to infinity war Tony Stark and Doctor Strange don't really seem to have a lot of love for one another. There's this kind of power struggle. They're both snarky to each other. They don't have a great relationship. And there's a scene when Thanos has Tony in a very compromised position and Doctor Strange still holds on to the time stone. And Doctor Strange says to Thanos, if you spare his life, I'll give you the stone. And in the movie, it just felt like one of those, like, He came around moments like, yeah, they've had this kind of power struggle. They haven't seemed to be real big fans of one another. But at the same rate, he doesn't want to see this guy get killed if he can prevent it. Well, before that, before Thanos meets him on that, and and we're talking about Infinity War again, um, Doctor Strange is kind of in his trance-like state and weirding out. Mm -hmm. And uh, once he's done, you know, he's just like, I just looked at, you know, over 14 million different scenarios uh, of future timelines. And there's only one way that this works out in our favor. Yeah. And it's Tony who asks him, right. And how many of these do we succeed? Just Just one. one. (laughs) Um, And so then we get that moment where, you know, like I said, Thanos has Tony in a compromised position. And ultimately Dr. Strange gives Thanos the stone. If he'll spare Tony. And so again, when you see that just within infinity war, it feels like this kind of coming around moment. You know, he doesn't necessarily love this guy as a, as a human personality wise, but he's also not willing to see him die if he can prevent it. We're in the end game now. Exactly. <laughs> so then you fast forward to this during this scene and Dr. Strange holds up one finger and Tony seems to have this face of realization of what yeah. what needs to happen. And so Tony ends up tricking Thanos by getting the stones out of the gauntlet without him realizing it in a power struggle and gets them again into a gauntlet that he has created. Yeah, attachment to his own suit. Right. Which I thought was kind of cool. Absolutely. Well, is that that nanotech. Yeah. And so Thanos thinks he has the gauntlet. He's won. He says, I am inevitable yet again. He said it two or three times throughout the film. Yeah. And he snaps. And nothing nothing happens. happens. (laughs) So he takes a look at the Infinity Gauntlet. He sees that he's been thwarted. It's empty. And it's the first time we really see Thanos look vulnerable. Yeah. Like, at no point in Infinity War 
did he seem vulnerable. The most we saw was when Mantis, you know, kind of having him in this headlock where she's draining him of his power and they're struggling. Yeah, but if you remember that scene, like, it takes all of them. Yes, to and even him. then he's yeah. fighting like hell. Like, he never seems like he's and Star-Lord been beat. He's just, he's fighting. And even when we said earlier in the film, when he's, you know, used the stones to destroy the stones, even when they're there and he knows he's probably about to die, like, at no point does he seem vulnerable. He doesn't seem to care. He's indifferent. He does not care. Yeah. This is the first time we see him in either film look vulnerable. He yeah. looks like he's lost. And so Tony shows him that he has the stones and we've heard I am inevitable two or three times now. And now we get from Tony <laughs> his catch line. So we've already gotten the Avengers assemble from Captain America. And now moments later we're getting I am Iron Man. I am Iron Man. And he snaps, and we start to see all of the the minions of, of Thanos start to turn to dust, as did the heroes in, in Infinity War. And, you know, we see them all just fading away, one by one by one. And you get the realization that, you know, this has worked. Um, I thought another brilliant strategy they did here was Thanos wasn't shown until the very end, and even then it seemed to take a little bit longer for him to dust. And it made you wonder, like, is he, maybe he's powerful enough to where this won't affect him. But ultimately, he sits down. It's much like the scene in the, where Thor chops his head off. He he just reserved. Yeah, he's accepted I mean, it. <laughs> yeah. Definitely yep. face full of acceptance there. He, he knows he's been beat. Yep. Yeah. And so Thanos dusts away, and we get our moment of Huzzah. the good guys won. Like, they did it. We brought everybody back. Happy days ahead. Everything is good. Except it's not. But it's definitely not. It was a beautifully shot moment. And I believe we mentioned it in either Iron Man or Iron Man 2. Taking Robert Downey Jr. out of the MCU and looking at him as a human being and a man. His struggles throughout his life have not been secretive. No. He's been on display Everybody knows what he struggled with and what he's been through and what it did to his career there for a while and everything else. And so, as we mentioned before, and, and either I forget which episode it was, but I know we, we talked about it. Iron Man, the character, could definitely be argued to have saved Robert Downey Jr. And that's not really being dramatic to say that. Like that role and that character helped get him right. It helped get him on a path where he had a purpose, he had a vision, his career was thriving again. It very much got him right. To see them give this character that send-off as portrayed by the actor that it also might have saved was beautiful. Yes. Yeah, and there's a line in one of the earlier films, and I think it's Captain America... Uh, saying it to uh, Tony Stark. And he's just basically like, I don't have faith that when it came down to it, that you would lay your, your life down. Yep. And obviously yeah. in that movie, I think it's Avengers. Avengers. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, Tony argues, of course I wouldn't. I would try to figure out how to fix it. Yeah. And even in this movie, right, in the beginning when they go to Tony and he's got his wife and his kid and they say, <laughs> we've got to do this. Yeah, he's like, hell he's no, like, I'm not giving this up. You know, yeah. I forget the exact line, but basically it was like, you know, we've got a, I forget how they worded it, but basically he looked at his family and was like, I have my purpose right here. 
Yeah. Like, I'm not willing to sacrifice any of this for an attempt. I'm not willing to do it. But he ultimately came around, and he did it, and we get the inverse of what we watched in Infinity War, where Spider-Man was fading away, and Tony was there to basically be with him, and now we're watching the inverse of it. Oh, God, that was so hard. Where Mr. Stark! <laughs> Mr. Stark! <laughs> yeah, it's, it's brutal. <laughs> and then, of course, while while Peter is sitting there having his goodbye and letting him know, Mr. Stark, we did it, we won, Pepper shows up. I'm, uh, I'm tearing up again. Yeah. Shit. And she, she has her moment of of goodbye. And the line that if the scene itself hadn't been getting to you yet, the line that she says to him is, it's okay, you can rest now. Yep. And it was very beautifully delivered. It was fantastic acting. If they gave out awards for scenes, this this has to be the front runner for this year so far. <laughs> the scene was done amazingly well. And I, I, as a film fan, was truly moved by not just the MCU and, and the Tony Stark character, but looking, as I said, at the man, Robert Downey, and knowing that he got to give the character that saved his career and maybe saved his life the proper send-off this way. There's just something poetic about it. Yeah, I mean, because like you alluded to before, like in many ways, Tony Stark kind of was <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. The the I mean, obviously the stakes for Robert Downey Jr., the person, weren't as high yeah. as they are for Tony Stark, but the the parallels are Yeah, absolutely. Crazy. And so we get the the cinema moment where it's showing the reactor on his chest glowing and then it it fades to black. And that's yeah. our that's our he's gone moment. And so Gonna make me ugly cry. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we we fast forward to the funeral for Robert Down for for Tony Stark. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's there. Everybody's there. Like he's getting his send off. Yeah. She takes the the heart Oh God! Proof, the that, first Tony proof that Tony Stark has a heart. It gets <laughs> it gets sent off into the water. We get the moment where everybody's just standing there in appreciation for what this man did, what he represented. And again, you know, like taking it with from outside of the movie and 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 looking at it from the outside, looking in for what it is. Tony Stark and Iron Man started this whole thing. The MCU began in 2008 with that movie. Yeah. And so 22 movies later to get this send off with all of the characters that came after that movie that the MCU has developed into again, like within the MCU, within the movie was beautifully done. And even if you look at it just from the artistic scene of all of those actors there to pay homage to the person that started all of this for them was extremely touching, extremely well done and I actually just recently read, I think earlier today, maybe last night, I think that was the only time during the entire filming of this movie that they brought everyone together and they didn't even tell them what exactly they were there for. Um, and there's, mm -hmm. I think it's on our page, there's a there's a picture of like the entire cast and crew. Yeah, I shared it. That's together. That was for this scene. Yeah. The rest of this film was done, you know, segmented where not everybody needed to be there at the same time. 
this brought every single person there. Yep. And so while I say, you know, kind of assuming that this had to be a very touching moment for Robert Downey and for these actors to give their respect to what his movie and his acting portrayal of Iron Man ultimately created. I mean, in a very literal sense that happened as they brought everyone there together to have that moment. And so I thought both the outside of it and within the MCU, both of those were done in a, in a great way. And going back to that 2008 Iron Man film, that movie was done by John Favreau. And oh, man. I had already been crying from the, <laughs> the death of Iron Man. Like yeah. the, the scene was done so well. I definitely had no dry eyes at that point, but I was pulling myself together and the, the panning through all of the characters standing there at his funeral was very touching. But at that point I was, I was pulling myself together. I was good. I was, I was getting myself all, all back on track. I was not. <laughs> and then they, they got to the porch and we see Pepper standing there and, then we see Happy, portrayed by John Favreau, sitting with Morgan, I believe her name was, Tony's daughter. Yeah. And we have one of the most touching moments I've ever seen in cinema, and I don't say that lightly. Like, I've seen this movie twice and cried both times, and when I told my father about the scene, I teared up telling my dad. So, it's very possible that as I talk about it right now, I'm going to tear up again. <laughs> I am. In that 2008 film, when Tony gets back from the desert, the first thing he says he wants is to get an American cheeseburger. And so we have this kind of throwaway line from a movie 11 years ago. And we're sitting there watching Happy, who is with Iron Man all the way back in this 2008 movie, um, now sitting with the deceased Tony Stark's daughter. And it's at the funeral, and he's being the rock for her. He's the one not standing there allowed to give his emotion because he's being the rock for the child, which that role in and of itself in general is a brutal role to take on, but he's doing it. Yeah. And so he's there with the daughter and asks if she's okay. And she says she is. And he asks if she's hungry. And like the moment he said it, <laughs> it started to like come together because having just gone through these movies recently, you know, we had just watched Iron Man just not that long ago, a month or two ago. And so that movie was still fresh in my mind. And the moment she said she was hungry and he asked what she wanted, the, I knew, I knew, the waterworks hit. I knew what she was oh, going to say. Yeah, the, the, the waterworks hit again and they hit hard. Like, I, I honestly don't know if there's ever a film that, like, a single moment hit me the way that did. And so... You just had this beautiful moment where she says she wants a cheeseburger. And I'm going to get through it quick because I'm not fucking crying again. So she says she wants a cheeseburger and John Favreau fucking nails it with, well, I'm going to, you know, your daddy like cheeseburgers and I'm going to get you all the cheeseburgers you want. And it was just done like perfectly. Like it was epically performed. John Favreau as a director of that movie where that callback line came from deserved that moment. Robert Downey Jr. and the character of Tony Stark deserved that moment. Everyone that's built this universe up to now deserved that moment. And they nailed it. It was flawless. So that's it for that. We're all sitting here with tears in our eyes. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like it was, yeah. it was legitimately beautiful. It was amazingly done, like I said, within the MCU and outside of it. It was 
very touching, very well done. I'm sure when this comes out again and I see it again on Blu-ray or whatever, I'm going to cry again. And I'm very happy that everyone involved got to have that moment that from what I've read and definitely from my own anecdotal self and the friends and family that has seen this movie, it hit all of us in a profound way. And it's one of the most brilliant and touching cinema moments I've experienced. And I'm, I'm really excited that the MCU was able to create that. Yeah. Going into the movie, you know, we knew that this was going to be the last movie for some of the actors. Yeah. So Robert Downey Jr., obviously Chris Evans, Captain America and Gwyneth Paltrow had all said, you know, we're not doing it anymore. Yeah. So we yeah. kind of knew that their character arcs were ending in this movie. But, yeah. And I, I kind of figured one of them would, one or all of them yeah. would probably die. But I definitely wasn't prepared for all that. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. No. And we, we mentioned, I think it was the execution of this film more than the, any surprises or anything like that. I know you and I had, like at great length discussed the fact that after infinity war, especially when black Panther and Spider-Man died, we knew there was no way in hell that was sticking. No. And so it really wasn't a matter of, are they going to come back? But how, How? it wasn't a matter of, will Tony Stark be in the next film? We knew that more than likely wasn't happening. It was how, and it was the execution of all of it that ultimately made it because a lot of times when you know things going into a movie, it's really, really difficult to have that impact if you know it's coming. Yeah. And like you said, we knew these things were coming. We knew there was going to be a return of these characters, especially when it was Black Panther and Spider-Man you took. Like it was too early in their arcs for those characters to already be gone. Yeah. It was pretty obvious they were going to come back. But the way they did it was so flawlessly executed that it still worked. And especially with that scene, even knowing that something like that was probably coming, the way it was acted and the way it was portrayed, it it didn't matter. Yeah, like I said, it just you know, you see a especially especially with Tony Stark. Yeah. You see a long change in his character. Yep. And uh even by Avengers, you know, Chris Captain America's still like unsure of mm-hmm. how Iron Man's gonna be when it all when yeah. it really comes down I to I mean it. at the yeah. end of the day, like he is probably the least likely to have done what he did. Yeah. Well, I think by the by the time Infinity War and Endgame came upon us, like he'd already seen a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. And even in the movie, it kind of cast doubt on that, especially when you see him married to Pepper now. Yeah. And they got a kid. Like so, he was like, "Yeah, I'm, I hung up my my Iron Man suit. We're not doing yeah. this again, right? Like, I'm sorry for your losses, but right here is what I got. And yeah, I ain't trying to get rid of it. And so there was another moment mm-hmm. that I'll try to get through without without tearing up again. Um, maybe I'll just like look out the window, not look at y'all. It'll help. <laughs> um, but basically, I have a daughter. She's five years old, and I know obviously you both have kids. One thing that you sometimes think about as a parent as you're raising a child and they're two or three years old and you, you think if something were to happen to me today, like they barely would know who I am. Like it's just not how cognitive memory works. Kids don't develop memories like that until, you know, a certain age. And even at five, their memories would be spotty at best. Like if you stop and think about what you can remember when you were five years old, it's not, not a lot. Much. It's not a lot. Well, plus you don't know if what you're remembering is a mem- as, as yeah. an actual memory or are you remembering what people have told somebody, you. Somebody, yeah, yeah. Are you remembering what somebody told and you? And they did this really, 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 and I don't know if it was intentionally done. I mean, I, I would like to think it is. I don't know if anything in these movies is done unintentionally. Tony had been recording messages 
when he was on that ship with Nebula. And then he also had now, we find out, been recording messages when they decided to go through with this plan. Mm-hmm. And so we see this moment where Happy and Pepper and his daughter are all sitting on the couch inside the house now. Oh, yeah, shit. And they're watching Tony talk about how he's not sure if he'll make it. And yep. the thing that punched me in the gut wasn't the message. That was done. I was I was good with that. Pepper was emotional during it. You could tell Happy was fighting it back. But his daughter almost seemed disinterested. And it was that moment where it hit me that the sacrifice he made isn't just that he ultimately laid down for everybody else to come back. But he did it at a point in his daughter's life where she's young enough to where her memories of her father will be not very much. Well, other than what she'll hear. Yeah. And she'll definitely hear a lot and she'll hear a lot and his legacy will live on. But in that moment, if you rewatch that film, so whiplash, she's fine. Whiplash did not succeed. No, he didn't, but she's, (laughs) she's okay. And so it's both this beautiful moment of knowing like pepper was right. You can rest now. We're going to be okay. Yeah. Pepper's dealing. She's got people with her to help deal. And his daughter seems okay. So pepper was right. We're going to be okay. But man, it was it was hard to see that as a father and get that again that wake up call of you spent five six years giving your everything pouring your heart out into this kid and if something were to happen to you right now you're barely a memory. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, was, man. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for that. Yeah. It 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 was touching and so like you know like I said I don't even know if that was intentional within the film but it struck me again. And um, I had to fight it back during that part again. So enough with 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 floundering through. Let's the, talk about that asshole. Yeah, Captain let's America. talk about Captain America and what he did because you know you've you've heard this ongoing dialogue between Chris and Anna about who's better, Iron Man or Cap, and how they both are in the in in a specific camp. So <laughs> I believe what we were supposed to take away from the last Captain America moment, and if you don't remember, basically he's going to go back and put the stones back. That way, everything else will remain the same and they don't splinter the timeline. So he goes back and he should return in five or ten seconds our time. And he doesn't. And we ultimately find out that rather than putting them back and coming back, he puts them back and keeps going further back into the timeline to be with Peggy and live out the life that Iron Man had kept saying he should have. You should get a life. You should get a life. And he took him up on that. He went back and he got his life. But moving forward, I believe there's going to be ramifications of his actions. And ultimately, the guy that was kind of the Boy Scout of the MCU and the Boy Scout of the Avengers and always did everything by the book, always did everything the right way, made a fairly selfish decision that may or may not have lasting ramifications well, on their world, he would have had to go back, assuming that he didn't want to court Agent Carter all over again. Yeah, he would have to have gone back to when he was in ICE. Yeah, so there's legitimately two Captain Americas in the world at the same time. Yep. Obviously, if he comes back, you know the the one from the Endgame timeline comes back. They have no reason to go look for the other one. But I think you're right. Um, both that he was extremely selfish 
And yeah, I, I, cause Anna came home that night, the night that she saw it and was like, oh, well, I now have proof that Captain America is better <laughs> than Iron Man. And I think what she was referring to was the fact that he can lift Mjolnir. Yeah, he lifted Thor's hammer, he which which we did skip over that, and that was an epic, epic scene. Oh yeah, yeah it, it was pretty badass. Yeah. And and we'll get back to that, but um, by and you know, I I almost I I was almost going towards the other way on Captain America. <laughs> Not that I would think I would ever think that he was better than Iron Man, just because I love Tony so much. But if it hadn't been for that scene where he selfishly selfishly went back in time and lived his life after watching everybody sacrifice everything. Cause that's, that's, that's what we're talking about here. A lot of them sacrificed a lot. I know. Some yeah. sacrificed all. Yes, I know. And any one of them could have done the same thing. Any one of them could have went back and put the time stones back and then went to whatever, lived whatever life. life they wanted, but they didn't. And it was uh, almost like yeah. Tony and Cap switched roles here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you would expect Captain America to do the selfless thing and Tony to do the selfish thing. And in this movie, they flipped, they flipped. that. Yeah. yeah but- I, I can't I can't argue that it was extremely selfish <laughs> of what, you know, what he did. That said, though, you could definitely make the argument that he ultimately did deserved what. It. Well, he, he not only deserved it because he did. He yeah. had been the one doing all the selfless acts for so long. And. You know, even if you think about, you know, in Captain America, I mean, this guy like loses everything then and, yeah. and he wakes up and he he's in the in the future, basically, to him yeah. with everything that he loved, either gone, gone or on its dying. way out, you know. So, you know, he had already been through a lot of that and then still was like our last Boy Scout. You know, he's still the guy that in our modern time is doing the right thing. And Tony had told him, like, man, you need to get a life. And he didn't say that like, you know, the old adage, get a life. Like he was telling like, you need to have a life. You need to have that. You need to have and a he, life outside I, of the And he the took Avengers. him up on it. I just thought it was, uh, but poor timing. I just thought, yeah. Yeah. I just thought it was odd because during that five year period, he's the one telling everybody to move on, move on. And he's the one that didn't. Well, he was yeah. struggling with it too. Oh, I mean, as all, as they all were. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I except mean, for Tony, probably. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know the weight of everything that happened in Infinity War was weighing heavily on Tony, but you know, out of all of them, he, I think he came out the best, you know, because yeah. he 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 got what he wanted. He plus, I mean, I only really talk shit about Captain America just cause to annoy me. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, you're right. He did deserve what happened. He did deserve to have that life because you're right, Steve. He he did. Uh, sacrifice a lot before any yeah. of the other ones did so yeah. i guess in that light I, it was probably okay for him to do that and you have to assume <laughs> that was supposed to be our happy moment yeah we had just been like emotionally beaten down and this was supposed to be our moment because you know again the the cap versus iron man silly rivalry aside like at the end of the day we're rooting for all of them as a fan yeah. like you're rooting yeah. for all of them and so while this horrendous fate had reached iron man you get this poetic and happy ending for Cap. And so that's, I think, what we were supposed to take from that. Yeah. Is that, you know, he got his ending. How the hell did he get back to that timeline? So how he got back, you know, I think we'll find out moving (laughs) forward. But we that's how we do find out is he's sitting on a bench as an old man has lived his life. There's a wedding ring on. He's married Peggy. He's lived his life. 
and uh, Bucky and Falcon are there. And again, fan service moment um, in the comic books. There is a story where Bucky becomes Captain America. Yeah, I was really expecting it to be Bucky. And there's also a story where Falcon Falcon becomes Captain America. And so it was no coincidence that it was these two men standing there finding Cap as an old man. And you immediately see he has something large and circular in a bag beside him. Yep. (laughs) And in another really selfish moment, we have Falcon, who's, you know, that's that's his guy, man. That's his man. Asks him, like, you know, do you want to tell me about it? I see you're wearing a ring. Nah. 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 Yeah. No? You go back in time, potentially mess up everything for everyone to get your story, and you won't even tell me about your awesome life? Thanks, man. But what he does give him... Think about it, though. His whole life has been on display. That's true. He had an exhibit in a museum. That's true. He kept that one thing for himself. Yeah. Oh, you know what he didn't keep for himself? There was thing. There was something he brought with him during that okay. trip that was that was absent in that bag. Okay. And that was Thor's hammer. Yes, but that, that tells, does not mean that, tells, that he does not have it. That tells me that he ain't no longer worthy to hold oh, it. Oh, yeah. The, I feel like the moment <laughs> he went back a second in time before he had to, that hammer was just gone, stripped <laughs> immediately unworthy. But he I did, don't think so. But he did still have the shield. And we get this awesome fan moment where if you know that the mantle has been passed to both Bucky and Falcon in past comic stories... Obviously, at this advanced age, Steve Rogers is no longer going to be Captain America. He actually aged. Yeah. I have questions about that. Yeah. Well, see, I it, my theory is simple. He went back. I, I don't agree with Chris that he's in the ice. I believe he went far enough back to where he never had the serum. He was just a man. He's just a man who went back and lived his life as a man, never was in a museum, never was in the ice. I don't, I don't think Never that's was right, even though. a soldier necessarily, just went back and lived his life with Peggy. If that if that was the case when they showed him and Peggy dancing, he'd have been a small scrawny man. Not He just worked out. Yeah, I don't that, I, that, I think he that still had the digital company serum. wasn't available to shrink him again. <laughs> Lola, Lola, yeah, Lola wasn't available to to shrink him down again. <laughs> But, but, you know, we have this moment where both of them, um, Bucky and Falcon, are standing there, and Bucky looks at Falcon and says, you go. And Falcon goes up, has the conversation with him about, you know, do you want to tell me about it? Cap, you know, refuses to tell him. And he says, but I do have something for you. And he pat literally passes the mantle. He hands over the shield. Um, there's a kind of a funny moment where he says, how does it feel? And he's like, like, it's somebody else's. And... He's like, you'll get used to it. It'll grow on you or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so we literally watched the passing of it. And if you, if you, I, I noticed it on the second watch too. I don't remember if I caught it the first time. There's a moment when he gets it, when he gets the shield, he looks over at Bucky. Yes. And Bucky, Bucky gives, gives him, him the nod, the approving nod. And again, that fan service of knowing that I think most people probably assumed it would be Bucky. Yeah. I, honestly, watching all the movies and seeing like, how Bucky was presented and everything else in which, you know, Chris, you'll see this eventually. Like, I really thought they were preparing us for Bucky to receive the shield. Yep. I was totally prepared for that. Mm -hmm. I got to thank that actor, though, you know, because he's been in, he's been along since 
the first Captain America too. So I got to think he might not be coming back to the MCU either. And I that, think Bucky will still be around. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, that. Bucky, I don't know what the contract think, situations are, but I think I think he'll still be around. I think so. Yeah, but maybe in a lesser role. Like if you take on the role of Captain America, you're probably going to have a much larger role. Oh, What's yeah. even more interesting is that as an actor, I think Anthony Mackie is a more busy and prevalent actor. I don't even know his name and the guy that plays Bucky. And so it'd be interesting to see how much he does, like how many, because I mean, that's a large role for him. If, if they're going to continue with Captain America being a prevalent part of this. Yeah. You know, it'll be a pretty, a pretty hefty role for him. That I would assume is rather recurring. Yeah. And that's one thing I wanted to say about uh, phase four moving forward. Like I really hope we, cause you know, the, the new Spider-Man trailer has already dropped. So, and it picks up pretty much right after. Yeah. And I think I think we'll get into a little bit of that uh, once we finish this discussion, though. But what I would like to see happen is at least we know that, you know, the Avengers in the comic books are kind of a it's kind of a rotating cast. Right. And so my hope is that we will see more of these aftermath movies. You know, intermixed with some new people coming in. Yeah. But I would really like to see a new Captain America movie with, you know, Falcon as Captain America. Absolutely. And I think we will. Yeah. I would imagine we will. And maybe we'll get that Hulk movie. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think they actually opened the door. So we mentioned on the Hulk episode that there had never been a sequel to the Hulk movies, even though Thor Ragnarok very much, you know, put Hulk on display. There really wasn't another standalone Hulk movie, and there certainly was no, like, proper Hulk sequel. But now with the way that they've done him, where he's kind of this new in control of Hulk banner, I feel like that door is wide open now. Yeah, my my big issue with a Hulk movie going forward is I don't I don't know how they would go about making a new Hulk movie with him in it. I mean, obviously I am not a Hollywood caliber writer or a writer in a, of any caliber, but I just can't foresee like them being able to pull that off. Yeah, I mean, a, a standalone Hulk story at this point would probably feel pretty small potatoes after everything we just watched and saw over the past, you know, this story arc, especially of the Infinity War story arc. Um, but I just think maybe the door has crept open a little bit just in the sense that the way he is now is almost like a slightly different character. Yeah. So maybe yeah. that door's open just a smidge. We'll see. Yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see on that one. I feel like the the possibility is there. Yeah. So I'm just excited to see Thor in, uh, in another Galaxy Guardians of the Galaxy movie. <laughs> yeah, and so that's the other character that took a, a major shift here at the end. One of our kind of from the original four that made a drastic change here at the end is he basically gives up the kingdom of Asgard. He passes that on to Valkyrie. Yeah. And decides to go join up with the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> so yeah. you know this the, there's been kind of these two these two worlds and I think we'll touch about touch more on this in a minute when we talk about the we'll briefly talk about the Spider-Man trailer but there's kind of been like the earth crisis and then there's been the larger like space crisis things going on yeah. within the MCU and obviously Captain Marvel's been more dealing with larger things like off earth and whatnot and the Guardians were doing the same type of thing and that's where Thor belongs yeah. And he's been here on Earth dealing with earthly problems and Thanos being here gave Thor a purpose, but now with Thanos being gone, he's got no he's got no reason for Earth. 
And I love Earth that, is small for him. I love that they kept the dad bod Thor the the whole the whole yes. movie because I I yes. was I was sure. Oh yeah, I was a hundred percent sure that that was not going to happen. They were somehow going to use the timeline to 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 bring him back in and, and never something. never once. Even when he gets on that ship at the end with Guardians, he is still. Dad, Dad bought Thor. Thor. Yep, and the, <laughs> the the little banter with him and Chris Pratt is still still yes! going strong. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Which it's gonna make you know the Guardians movies, much like the Ant Man films, have always had a more comedic feel than the other ones. And I think that Chris Hemsworth is is perfect for that. Yeah, and they've kind of built that with that little you know the banter he has going on with with Star Lord. So that should be we good moving forward. <laughs> Yeah, I'm 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 excited for the next stage of the MCU. You know, one of the biggest reasons why I went ahead and saw Endgame, you know, because I, originally I wasn't going to, um, but then I became so concerned about the movie getting spoiled for me that I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to go see it. And then Anna coming home after she saw it and was like, you were going in the morning, the first showing of that movie, just so I could talk to you about it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And real quick before we move on to the Spider-Man trailer, and we'll put a bow on this film after this, but there was another moment we kind of moved past because there's so much going on. It's a three-hour movie, and we're not going to sit here and go through every detail of it. But one of the things that I think deserves mention is Tony finally got his absolute bow on the the conflict he had internally with his father. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah he finally got the resolution he needed from that. Yeah, when he went yeah. back, uh, when they kind of botched the original grabbing of the Tesseract. Yeah. yeah. And then they had to go back further. Right. And so, you know, he had that moment where he sees his dad in the past. In fact, it's the day that, uh, was it the day he was born? Yeah. Yeah. And he's going home to I take- I don't think it was the day he was born. It was just his she wife was pregnant. was pregnant. Like he had either found out she was pregnant or whatever, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. And so he had flowers to take home to his, his pregnant wife who yeah. was pregnant with, with Tony. And he's asking Tony for advice- <laughs> on you know what he did as a father and stuff and again it was just another one of those really well done touching moments and then of course you know they'll they other than tony stark's death scene and 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 the aftermath of that the mcu never kicks you too hard while you're down because they always bring that little bit of comedy in and that's what they did here you know he goes up and gives his dad a big hug and to him it's this guy that he's just met who's now giving him this really tender loving embrace and he's you know (laughs) thank you so much for what you've done for this country (laughs) (laughs) and And there's another little fan service moment there that we learn the origin of why tony calls his his artificial intelligence jarvis Jarvis. because that is the driver for his dad there yeah Um, yeah so you know again there was so much fan service and there was no way to touch on all of it but we had all kind of talked about our feeling after the movie and knowing how big this movie was and it's it just felt it felt wrong to wait yeah, to talk about it. Yeah, so. for sure. Because yeah, plus you know I kind of want to put on record the way I felt about the movie right now, with only having seen two Avengers. Because mm-hmm. we're gonna cover this movie again once we get to it in our watch through. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things change. Yeah, for me specifically. So I'm I'm being selfish on this. I'm being Stark on this. <laughs> uh, Early Stark. <laughs> Early Stark. I'm uh, late Cap. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I I just wanted on record all these feelings right now as they're you know as they're kind of fresh without having 
put the movie in too much context as opposed to how I'm going to feel about it once I have the broader, yeah. you know, look at the whole MCU, yeah. you know, at least until Endgame. But I am extremely excited to see where Endgame, uh, where the MCU follows Endgame. And just from the look of the Spider-Man trailer, like, I'm, <laughs> we're going to have some arguments on this. I, I was not too thrilled with them talking about multiverse and that new Spider-Man trailer. And I, I, I you know, I, you guys, I'm sure have seen it already, but I'll, I'll embed it into the post for this episode just so you have an easy access to it. But, um, other than that multiverse part, there's a, there's a bit to talk about here. There's yeah. a lot to talk about. Yeah. There's a lot to, that can be said about that trailer. I think one thing that a lot of people worried about was that the name Endgame obviously suggests finality. And there were a lot of people that worried what the MCU might look like post this movie. And at the end of the day, we lost Captain America as Steve Rogers, but gained a new Captain America. Yep. We lost Iron Man and we lost Black Widow. Other than that, everyone is still intact. Their role might be different, right? Thor's with the Guardians of the Galaxy. We have some changes in their roles, but they're not gone. And so I think the MCU is alive and well. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Um, I think it's going strong. And that Spider-Man trailer, I'll be honest with you, when I first saw the initial trailer they put out a couple months back for the, the Far From Home, it did not look terribly good to me. It looked somewhat generic. Having now seen this trailer, I get why they did that. They there probably to. was only but so much they could show us without spoiling, without spoiling in-game. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in the original trailer, when we see Mysterio for the first time, he is definitely just assumed to be a villain. And while I ultimately believe he will be, the trailer in no way portrays him, portrays as, him as that. He looks like somebody who is sympathetic to Spider-Man, someone who is looking to work with him. He goes so far as to ask him what he wants. And so... Maybe we see a changing of the Mysterio character. Maybe he isn't a villain in this. I think he will be. Yeah, because, I mean, if you pay attention to the dialogue in the trailer, this Mysterio comes from one of the fractured timelines right. from Endgame. Mm -hmm. And so it is quite possible that yeah. he's not a villain. Is at least plausible from the trailer. Yeah. Um. Again, I think ultimately he will be that character in the comics is pretty deceiving. And yeah. so that's more than likely what we're, what we're watching is his initial deception, but it was just such a more substantive trailer than that first one we got, which was basically just Spider-Man swinging around. And then we see Mysterio in the sky with the helmet on and we're just led to believe, okay, we know who the villain will be. It'll be Mysterio. And we know Spider-Man's going to try to thwart him just like any other action movie. And this trailer just went so much further into giving us, a view into what the MCU yeah. might look like. Yeah. So within that trailer, you see Spider-Man in three different suits that you I do. could see. Yeah. So his regular one, and then the one that he got in Infinity War, the Iron Spider. Yeah. yeah. And then the black one, the Spider Noir. Noir. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know. And we do see called. that one scene. We we watched it just before we went on with this, where you and I picked up on. There's this little part where it looks almost like he's 
building a new suit. He just has yeah like a a portion on his on his wrist and like through his forearm. Basically, looks a, almost like a, Tony's a, stuff. a similar thing that you see Tony doing, kind of doing a modeling of the suit before yeah. it's actually built. And so we may and very he, well see even a fourth. And he did say, you know, the world still needs an Iron Man. Or I don't know if it was him that said that, but yeah, maybe Fury. But yes, yeah, it was either said Fury it. or Happy. Yeah, yeah. One, one of the three said it. I don't right. remember which. You don't just ghost Nick Fury. Honestly, my my theory is that MJ becomes like an Ironheart. It's very possible. I and have I no was, idea. So I think there's a little bit of maybe I will be shocked if this turns out to be true. But right now, you and I talked earlier. It feels like this trailer did a little bit of misdirection with the MJ and Peter Parker scene. Yeah. Where she basically says, you're, you're Spider-Man. You're Spider-Man. It's pretty obvious. My guess is when we see the actual movie, there's going to be a dot, dot, dot. You know I'm just kidding, Peter. How would you be Spider-Man? Yeah, but, at but the same, maybe not. But I mean, at the same, but that's a pretty big reveal for a trailer. A trailer. But at the same time, though, Tom Holland in real life, as well as his portrayal of Spider-Man, that's true. He's not that great at keeping his damn mouth shut about things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it's a <laughs> nod well to his throw spoiler nature. <laughs> throw that spoiler out there. <laughs> yeah. So even in the movies, he's. I want. I don't want to say he's not that careful, but he just doesn't think about. You know his secret identity, yeah. Like, like. Um, but to be fair, Tom Holland did give you a very nice spoiler warning at the beginning of this trailer. <laughs> he did. Which, he good did. lord, thanks for that. Because as soon as this trailer begins, it's them looking at a mural dedicated to Tony Stark, and then just watching him and Happy have yet another very, very, very emotional moment talking about missing him. Yeah. So, like, if you had just run into this with no warning at the beginning, I do think, good it, Lord, I do think it's odd that they. This is still phase three. I mean, I get that, like, it happens right after Endgame, but it just, in like you said before, Endgame is like that's a that's the that's the end cap. It feels like that'd be the end. Yeah. So I've told you my theory on why there is a line in the trailer. About Mysterio coming from, as you said, one of these alternate universes. And Peter Parker very bluntly says, so you're telling me there's a multiverse. And I believe phase four is ultimately going to at least begin, whether it stays this way the whole time. I think it's going to introduce a multiverse. And as we've alluded to, or maybe even directly mentioned in past episodes, Fox is now umbrellaed under these movies. And so the rights to the Fantastic Four, the rights to X-Men, etc., Deadpool, are now free to use. Yep. It remains completely unknown what that means or what they'll use or how they'll do it. But the options are there. And I think this opens the door to them with very creative ways to introduce new characters into the MCU. Yeah, I mean, for I, I, I get that part of it. My thought on introducing a multiverse like that is starting to convolute the storylines um, because as we've seen in some of the comics and even in other franchises, when you start adding that kind of layer to it, it can rapidly become confusing and complicated and messy. And my hope is that They'll use the multiverse as a device, but not 
delve into it too far because if you start going too far down this multiverse avenue, yes, it opens up the door for a lot more things, but it also opens up the door for complications. I, that I think ultimately necessary. it will be used as the device you speak of. I think it is definitely the device they can use to introduce X-Men, Fantastic Four, whatever they want. The other thing it does is it gives them the opportunity to introduce a new big bad. Thanos is gone. Yeah. Captain Marvel is insanely strong and they've got her on speed dial now. So in order for a threat to come that would then give them the license to need to and want to continue to use this new shiny toy that they have in the Captain Marvel character, they need a new big bad. And I alluded to him earlier, never said it by name because I wanted it to be more organic as we talked about it on mic. But if they bring in the Fantastic Four, we open up the door to Galactus. Yeah. And Doctor Doom and all that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even with Doctor Doom though, right? That's more of an earthly threat yeah, that not a... the heroes that we have yeah. here can deal with. Galactus, no, that's no, a big no. bad. Yeah. That's a big bad that needs the Guardians of the Galaxy. That's a big bad that needs Captain Marvel. That That's a big problem. And so if we open up this multiverse even enough to be able to then introduce the Fantastic Four and thus Galactus, the MCU has a really, really strong arc ahead of them if they want to go that route. I, I think that we'll see Fantastic Four in this next phase, mainly yeah. because... And I definitely think we'll see them before we see the X-Men. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was just going to say. So... I really think it'll be Fantastic Four over X-Men, mainly because the Fantastic Four has not gotten very good movies in the past. No. I mean, the first one that I saw, I don't even, I think it was with Chris Evans as uh, the Human Torch. Mm -hmm. That one wasn't terrible. And I only say that mainly because I'm not that familiar with their story in the comics. Yeah. Not really. Um, and what's great is they really can't use either iteration of nope. the Fantastic Four. Because Michael B. Jordan is in the Fantastic Four after the Chris Evans one, and he goes on to be Killmonger in the Black Panther movies. Yep. Yeah. So they legitimately can't use anybody they had before. either iteration of the Fantastic Four. So that is the one that is blatantly to be rebooted if they are to come into the yeah, MCU. I, I think that's what it'll be. I mean, unless because to me. You know, I, I've talked before about the MCU having, you know, sort of used up all their best known heroes in, in, uh, in this first section, these first 23 movies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's not a lot. But I can't imagine them continuing from what Endgame is and just using all of the lesser known ones. So it only makes sense that it would be, like you said, either Fantastic Four, X Men. And because, like, Hugh Jackman's finally coming off playing Wolverine. I don't think we're likely to see the X-Men in the MCU for a little bit. Yeah. At least not until... I don't think we'll see another Wolverine at all. No, we will. We, I, I, we will. I don't think that's a character they should touch. They will, though. Yeah, they will. I mean... It may take a long time, but I think they will. I think in this next section, you introduce and build up the Fantastic Four, maybe introduce some more of the lesser-known... Squirrel Marvel. Girl. I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah. Introduce some of the lesser-known um, Marvel heroes in this next section, and then maybe the section after that. So in 12 more years, we'll start seeing more X. Now, the really good thing stuff. that they've, they've done so far, right, is if you take people that weren't necessarily comic book fans or anything like that before these, they've done a really good job of introducing characters that were off the, the radar 
and making them household names. Like yeah. even take the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I wasn't that familiar with them before. Most people are not familiar with those characters, but they were put in really good movies, surrounded by good cast that ultimately built them up. And we can go on and on with Scarlet Witch, with Vision. Yeah. I mean, the list goes on and on. Like These are not like blockbuster characters, but they became that. Yeah. And I think yeah. they very much have the chops to continue doing that and introduce, like you said, Squirrel Girl, whoever they want to introduce. But I also agree with what you said that while you're doing that, I think you need those household names beside them. Yeah. Yeah. And, Until they become their exactly, own. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I had forgotten really all about the Fantastic Four, but to me, that's the next logical progression it, it is. from here. Yeah. And then maybe, you know, like I said, some of the lesser known heroes too, obviously you yeah. don't want to bring those in. And it remains to be seen how they'll handle Deadpool or if they'll just continue to keep that a separate but equal entity, not within the MCU. Those movies have done really, really well. Deadpool and Deadpool 2 are both two of, if not the highest grossing R-rated films ever made. That said, just dragging over Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool into the MCU, as awesome as it would be, is not an easy marriage. No. Those are R-rated and they're explicitly R-rated. This is an R-rated film where... There's just a little bit of violence and maybe an F word here or there. <laughs> like these are explicitly R-rated films, and that is the Deadpool character. That is the vision of it. That is what Ryan Reynolds portrays. And so to drag that into the PG-13 MCU may be a lot more challenging. But I want to see it done. I do too. I want to see Spidey and Deadpool. So okay. it's it's really interesting, right? Like the the selfish part of me, the Captain America part of me, <laughs> wants to see that. <laughs> wants to see that happen the more empathetic tony stark part of me (laughs) as a father looks at it and says even though my daughter is only five most of the mcu films i'm okay with her sitting in there and watching with daddy but not deadpool but there's no way in hell she's watching deadpool with me and so if you drag that character now into the mcu now all of a sudden it's this catch-22 of now she can't watch the next Spider-Man movie or she can't watch the next Avengers movie because Ryan Reynolds is going to come up and say some wildly inappropriate things. That while I love, and I as a consumer am all for, now I'm muddying the waters of what that demographic can see. Yeah. And even though I just said that Deadpool and Deadpool 2 are two of the highest grossing R-rated films of all time, the MCU just had two films in Captain Marvel and Endgame that grossed over a billion dollars. Yeah. There's no way they want to cut off that part of the market no. for one character. Albeit a fan favorite, they, they don't want to cut off that part of the oh, market. Oh, yeah, no. No. So even if they introduce Deadpool, it's going to have to be a watered down, still can be crass, still can make off-color jokes, but will certainly have to be watered down. Yeah. And I'm not sure. It'd be interesting to see where Ryan Reynolds and those and the powers that be with those films would feel about dialing it back. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, Ryan Reynolds did just do Detective Pikachu, so we'll see. Yeah, but he is he is attached to the character of Deadpool. Oh, I know. Like, this was his pet project. I mean, to be fair, if you read any of the Deadpool comic books and then look at literally any of Ryan Reynolds' comedy, it's pretty much Oh, yeah, like, it's a match made in heaven. Yeah. They, and, <laughs> and while I would like to, th- while it's easy to say his attachment to that character and what that character represents may be enough to prevent him from wanting to water it down, 
seeing the money that has been made by these MCU films might be enough to might make be him. just enough. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, if you hear this, please do it. I want to see Spidey and Deadpool. I, I just want to see what, you know, I think Anna mentioned on another episode about um, Stan Lee's cameo replacing yes! that with Deadpool and the aviators yeah. and the mustache. Yeah. If nothing else, please just give us that. With yeah. a chimichanga. Just and walking I could around definitely see that, that yeah. happening. At least once or twice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it but, was a thing I had seen on the internet and I like the idea and I want to see it now. Yeah. But, uh, but, you know, to put a bow on all of it, despite the name Endgame, which has this feeling of finality... The MCU is alive. It is stronger than it's ever been. And I think the future is very bright and very wide open. Very. I agree. And on that note... Wait, wait, wait. Even though there wasn't an end scene after the credits, did either of you notice that yes. there was the, the, the sound? The forging sound. It was from Iron Man 1 yep. when he created the very first suit. Yep. And there's a number of ways that that's been interpreted, and obviously we have no insight into what the hell it means, but some of the theories have been that that was just kind of, they used that as a gong, to as a as one last send-off yeah. to the Iron Man character. I don't think that's I don't think it's. I don't um, think that's the case. the other very popular one is, is it signifies that Iron Man... Being reborn. ...isn't quite gone yet. No, Tony I mean, Stark is especially when you couple Iron that. Isn't. Especially when you couple that with the line in the Spider-Man trailer. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I I had to point that out. You know, we've said that you know <laughs> of the movies that are out there. I think, at least for me personally, and we'll be talking about the second one I mentioned here very soon. I think the Ed Norton Hulk, and I think that Thor: Dark World were two of the the weaker MCU movies in my estimation, and even those were very well done. Yeah. So to be twenty-two movies in. And seen the trailer and be very impressed by the trailer for 23. My full faith is with the MCU. I am in the bag for this stuff. Me too. I will be there with whatever they line up. They have not disappointed me yet. Nope. And I think they have so many options and so much more left to do and left to tell. And we'll be there to see it. So in it for I'm the very long excited. haul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if this show goes downhill, I'm selling everything. I hear you. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's uh, that's going to do it for us this time. We appreciate you taking the time to listen. And if you have any questions, comments, or theories, you can email us at feedback at collectorpodcast.com or comment on the show notes for this episode at collectorpodcast.com. Until next time. 